Hello, and welcome to the IR Weekly Podcast, keeping you up to date with all of the latest news in the realtor world. I'm Jeremy Geckner, and I want to thank you for joining us for this very special edition of the podcast today. April once again brings Fair Housing Month in the United States. For the entirety of our history as a country, our philosophical battle has been with those iconic words immortalized in our Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. Equality is simultaneously the promise and everlasting struggle of our country as we attempt to give everyone their American dream. Home ownership more than any other tool helps to create those dreams, but it might not be shocking to find out that over our history, the battle to ensure that opportunity equally has been long. Even though the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution ensured property rights for Americans, slaves, women, and Native Americans were left out of these protections. The story of fair housing in America starts where many equal rights battles have, the American Civil War. Nathan K. Johnson, the president of Real Estate Solutions at Red Key Realty Leaders in St. Louis, Missouri, explains that even though the war was won, the fight for equality was still raging. What we know is that we were just on the heels of the abolishment of slavery in our country. And we were at a very difficult time in our union because we had all of these freedmen and women and we had to make a decision as a nation, what were we gonna do with all of these folks? It was in 1865 that the Civil Rights Bill was passed by Congress. It was then vetoed by Andrew Johnson and sent back. It came back again in 1866 and was vetoed once again. However, there was a two-thirds majority vote by Congress which ratified the amendment and what we had was the Civil Rights Bill which became law. What it said is that such citizens of every race and color and without regard to any previous condition of slavery or involuntary servitude shall have the same right to inherit, purchase, lease, sell, hold, and convey real property to the full and equal benefit as enjoyed by white citizens. The Civil Rights Law of 1866 ensured that any person born in America had the same rights of property protection enshrined in the Constitution. However, in practice, this was still not enough. African Americans were fleeing the oppressive conditions in the rural South for the industrial North, but oftentimes found different injustices. Perhaps one of the most stark examples of these injustices was racial zoning, such as in the city of Louisville, Kentucky, which forbade any black individual to own or occupy any building in an area in which a greater number of white persons resided and vice versa. In the landmark 1917 case of Buchanan v. Worley, the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed this practice nationwide. It would seem this would portend better days ahead, but the country was about to feel a different kind of struggle when the stock market crashed in 1929 and the Great Depression began. Out of this, new President Franklin D. Roosevelt put together one of the most ambitious pieces of legislation ever formed, a jobs and works plan to help Americans get back on their feet, the New Deal. Part of the New Deal, which passed in 1934, was the National Housing Act, which created the Federal Housing Administration, or FHA. Nathan Johnson again explains the opportunity this brought. Now its purpose, of course, was to make credit more available to lenders and it helped to create home repair and construction programs. And it was a, a great opportunity for many of our citizens, but not all of our citizens. Because what we know is that 
the FHA loan between the years of 1945 and 1959, less than 2% of loans were issued to African Americans. So as you could imagine, that was very tough to achieve upward mobility through real estate ownership and home ownership because of a lack of access to financing. Because prior to the creation of the FHA, what was happening is that if you wanted a loan to buy a house, you went to your bank down the street and said, hey, I wanna buy Joe's farm. The banker said, I know you, I know Joe, let's make a deal and they would loan you the money. There wasn't any real strict guidelines and there certainly wasn't any government insurability on these loans that were issued. So it was very difficult. And once the government got involved and guaranteed and insured these mortgages, that opened the floodgates to home ownership, which is the bedrock of the American dream as we know it today. While the FHA's principles were sound, once again, the implementation fell prey to the same prejudices that had plagued the cause of equality for decades and centuries before. And one of the most stark and horrible versions of this came in the form of redlining. Nathan continues. One of the things that was mandated by the government was redlining. And what redlining is, is denying or restricting loans to or in a particular area or community. And what was happening at the time is government-backed mortgages were not being issued in integrated communities or African-American and other minority communities. So as a result, if you're a minority, you didn't have access to the home ownership opportunities that white citizens had in our country at the time. Maps drawn in this time period marked predominant African-American and other minority communities as areas of danger or declining economic prospects. This led to a sustained period of non-development, but even more tragically, to a period of overt and blatant racism in the form of community covenants. We want white tenants in our white community, Christians only, Jews not welcome, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. This is one of the challenges that we're really facing today because when we go back to the 50s and 60s, what we saw is overt racism. It was very clear when you saw a sign up here that says no Irish, no blacks, no dogs, you know who's welcome and who's not welcome. But today we have some of these same challenges, but we just don't have the signs that are up there. Not even the returning African-American soldiers of World War II were able to get a foot forward as many of the newly developed suburb neighborhoods were restricted to white-only applicants. It wasn't until 1948, in the landmark case of Shelley v. Kramer, that these covenants were finally decoupled from the protection of court enforcement. Now, what I'll say about this particular case is that the Supreme Court kind of punted a little bit. They didn't necessarily go as far as they could have gone for this particular issue. Because what they said is that restrictive covenants on their face are not invalid under the 14th Amendment. However, while private parties may voluntarily abide by the terms of such a restrictive covenant, they may not seek judicial enforcement of that covenant. Now, basically what they're saying there is that if my neighbor decides they want to sell their home to an African-American, they can certainly do so. And there's not going to be any state action, meaning the police, meaning the local jurisdiction, that's going to intervene in that transaction. While Shelley v. Kramer didn't go as far as it could, what it did do was spark a growing fair housing movement that would see the passage of the first fair housing laws in New York City and Colorado in the 1950s. 
This movement would continue to grow at a fast pace, leading to a pivotal point in 1966, the Chicago Freedom Movement, in which Dr. Martin Luther King moved his works and focus to the cities of the North. Now, what's very interesting is at the time, Northerners were cheering Dr. King for the work that he was doing in the South. And they were wagging their finger at the southern states and their oppressive tactics and the things that they were doing to oppress the Negroes at the time. But what Dr. King said is he never saw the type of violence in Mississippi and Alabama that he saw when he went to Chicago. Because once he pulled the Band-Aid off of what was happening in the North, that's when people got really upset. And they said, hey, you do your thing down South, you stay away from us up here and leave us alone. One of the things that he saw is that in Chicago, the apartment that he was renting at the time was $50 a month. And what he saw there was that a two, three room shack is that was that was what was available for Negroes at the time. And as he was visiting Chicago and some of the other communities, he saw the opportunities that were available for white citizens. They were able to rent these palatial apartments, five and six rooms, plenty of natural light, all of this beauty, for $40 a month. So not only were African-Americans getting less in terms of opportunities for housing, but they were paying more for it. With all the furor continuing to build, the first week of April in 1968 would see it finally boil over. Dr. King was assassinated on April 4th, which led to widespread rioting and despair. President Lyndon Johnson would spur Congress into action, and a week later, he signed the Fair Housing Act of 1968 into law. Members of the Congress, members of the Congress, members of the Cabinet, distinguished Americans, and yes, few in the nation believe that fair housing would in our time become the unchallenged law of this land. And now, at long last, this afternoon, its day has come. It proclaims that fair housing for all, all human beings who live in this country is now a part of the American way of life. The Fair Housing Act of 1968 prohibited discrimination based on race, color, religion, and national origin, and it's often considered the biggest blow the cause of equality in housing has ever landed. Ever since, a steady beat of equality has continued to march forward. Obstacles have still been encountered and may never be gone entirely, but one thing remains abundantly clear. We at Illinois Realtors continue to support all efforts to make the American dream of home ownership equal and available for all. Nathan Johnson also spurs us on in this cause. We have come a long way since the passage of the first Civil Rights Act of 1866. However, as you can see, we've got a long way to go, and it's up to us to make sure that we're all doing our part to create equal housing opportunities for everyone. Continue to stay tuned all throughout April at IllinoisRealtors.com for more celebrations of Fair Housing Month and the American Dream.